Look at it. Let's, let's say a prayer and uh, here we go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would bless us as we study your word, enrich us in all your gifts and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might think and do the, the things which are good in your sight. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Okay, so this is the second to last women's Bible study of the year. Second to last. Next week, the 18th, will be the last one. If you, so we, um, we have a guest coming for just a bit beforehand, um, a representative of CareNet. In fact, so soon to appear on the calendar will be the CareNet Walk. I can't, now I just got the note. June 16th, Saturday, June 16th, the CareNet Walk. St. John hosts the CareNet Walk. It's, um, uh, what's the best description for CareNet? It's not a crisis pregnancy, but it, yeah. Okay, crisis pregnancy. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, great. So, we'll ha- so that's June 16th, but then next Friday, a representative, Rachel Zeller, has been volunteering over there, and um, somebody wanted to come by and say a few words about, um, about what's going on. So that'll be before class starts. So say five to ten minutes beforehand, we'll give a little bit of room for that and then start on time with, uh, with Bible class. Finishing up, I think Pastor Nelson wants to do Mark 10 next week, so we got our work cut out for us today. Mark 9 is pretty long. Um, who knows? You know, maybe we'll come to next year and we'll just like, we'll, we'll backtrack a little bit. You know, we'll start, we'll catch up with stuff we've missed so far. So today we're on Mark chapter 9. Um, what, so get big picture, keep picture, big picture in mind. Do you remember from that, the cartoon that we saw, the sort of the hand-drawn illustration of Mark? Mark chapter 8 serves as a turning point. Nancy's got it. Can you tell us what the headings of the three main sections are? So we've got Mark chapters 1 through 7. What's that? That is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus, okay. Two is, what does it mean for Jesus to be the, the Messiah? Okay. And three was, how Jesus became, becomes king. Okay, so um, who is Jesus? What does it mean? So, that, so then we learn he's the Messiah. That's chap, so section 1. Section number two is, what does it mean to be the Messiah? And this is punctuated by all of his, they're called death notices in these, cha- in these chapters. So three times he says, the Son of Man must be given over into the hands of sinners to suffer and die, and on the third day rise again, um, which you think it couldn't be any clearer than that, but it ends up being pretty unclear to the disciples. So that's what it means for him to be the Messiah. And then the last chunk of the book, the last half really of the book is Jesus Becoming king, uh, in the, in uh, th- you know as Messiah, becoming enthroned on the cross. Okay, um, so that was chapter eight. Was really marks the beginning of this turning point, and now we're um, we're finding out uh, what it means for Jesus to be Messiah. We've heard about his death, and today we hear about his transfiguration, which gives us um, both a look at his his divine glory, which is sort of. Uh, beyond the scope of our comprehension. We can't imagine what this is like. But then, not surprisingly, this divine glory is, disappears from view. You know, as Mark would say, immediately, right? Because uh, it's, not, it's not time for that glory yet. Do you have any questions about where we are? What's happening? Anything left over from chapters 1 through 8? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to all of Mark chapter 9... Um, the transfiguration and the episode after it come pretty quickly. So pay attention closely and, and then try not to forget as we go through the rest of Mark chapter 9, as we listen to the rest of it. And then we'll come back and we'll look at this painting by Raphael um, of the transfiguration. Okay. Everybody 
Everybody ready? Places? Okay, here we go. This is a little bit of um, chapter 8, just the end of chapter 8. Okay. <clears throat> Anything stand out to you right off the bat? Yes, Holly. Uh, just the very last bit about having salt as if it is in our control to have the salt in there. Yeah. Just the way he said it. Yeah, um, that's interesting. It is, I mean, it is, Jesus gives this command. He says, have salt in yourselves, right? Have salt in yourselves. Um, all, you know, whenever Jesus gives a command, we really, we can hear it with two different sets of ears, right? So on the one hand, you can hear it as something I cannot do. So for instance, when he says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And you say to yourself, I'm not doing that, right? Um, <laughs> Which, you know, uh, we, should, we should consider what that means. Of course, there's another set of ears with which you can hear Jesus' commands. Um, you can hear them as having been fulfilled by him, right? So what he asks of you, what he commands you to do, he then does for you. Which is, exactly, which is precisely what happens when he says, for instance, repent and believe. So very same problem. Small catechism, third article, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe, right? It's the, it's the man. Uh, I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief. Um, Jesus, when he gives, when he, when he, his word is effective. It does what it says. So when he says, have salt in yourself, he's actually salting you. He's actually making you, making you salty again. Um, and, which is, and so, I mean, what he, what he wants from us when we sort of despair at those commands or when we think to ourselves, That's, you know, this is outside the ken of what's possible for me. He wants the response that he gets from the, from the Father. I wish I was salty. Help me be salty, right? Um, any other observations? Yeah, Krista. Uh, I think uh, Jesus uh, explained the, the hell. Um, and I think, you know, um, uh, uh, this time I just thought, why did Jesus die? You know, because... Um, that we that we are not going to hell, right? And Jesus explained it in, in a, a very drastic way. Yeah. How hell is. Right, right, right. There's so he says. What what's the description that he gives of hell? Why, how does he put it? Yeah, yeah. Unquenchable fire, a worm, a worm that does not die. The um, there's this old image that goes along with your conscience. It's called the, the worm of your conscience because your conscience eats away at you. Um, and in some sense, and it's related, to, it's related to how we understand hell, if you don't have an active conscience, something, you don't, if you don't have something that eats away with you or you've sort of tamped it down sufficiently so that it doesn't eat away with you, then you have no fear of hell, right? You can't imagine what that, what, you can't imagine what that would be like, right? You have no reason to fear it. Um, and I think you're right. We, at least in... in America in the West really have uh, demythologized hell. We we don't. It's uh, it's not. It doesn't seem real to most of to most of our culture. Yeah. But, but I think um, when I see the movies or something like that, I think um, the um, uh, they're so violent, so mm. violent that you get um, callous. I don't. I I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it happens not just with violence, but with, you know, greed and lust and every vice that you can imagine, right? And therefore, I think that hell is a little bit 
they are not afraid anymore. That's right. And also, in some ways, I mean, hell is present even now, right, among those who, who sort of ignore it, who just sort of relish in the tortures of hell, you know? That's a grim thought. Let's think about something else for a minute. Thank you. But no, you're right. You're right. Um, that, that your diagnosis of, of, of our world is, is accurate, I think. Carol. I was struck by transfiguration. Yeah. In that hearing the words and a cloud overshadowed them. Yeah. My mind went back to the Old Testament. Okay, good. So overshadow. Where, where in the Old Testament did your mind go with that? To um, the giving of the Ten Commandments. Okay. And other times when Moses, you know, there was... The clouds are everywhere, right? There's clouds with that, and then the cloud during the day that was sheltering the children of Israel. So... If you're gonna so bundle these together, so we got the cloud that leads uh, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. You get the cloud, thunder and lightning descending on Mount Sinai. You have when when Moses goes out to the tabernacle, the, the, he pitches a tent outside the camp to consult with God, and everybody knew that it was time to. It's like when the office door is closed, you stay away, right? So when the when the cloud descended on the tent, you knew that God was there, right? Um, so what is the cloud? What it, what? What, it's, not just, it's not just, you know, a meteorological phenomenon. What is it? Mary, the power of the Most High overshadowed. Same language there. That's right. That's absolutely right. And so it, this is fascinating. So we get Mary called to mind here too. We've got the cloud in the Old Testament, which, again, what, what, tell, me, tell me what the cloud in, in the Old Testament is. The glory, right? This is the kavod, the weightiness of God that comes and sits on top of the, the mercy seat of the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, it is God's glory. Now... But we don't like clouds. We like sunshine. We sure do. That's right. And listen, too. The cloud, the cloud is... And also, it, it, it speaks. There is so much going on here. Uh, let's see if we can capture it all. So... Um, Hang on to that thought for a second. So we got a voice that says, listen. We'll come back to that. Let's talk just a little bit more about the glory. Um, what is God's glory like? If you... When he was lifted up. Oh, okay, okay. So, you're, so let's pretend Jesus hasn't come yet, okay? Hey, open up your Bibles. Open up your Bibles to... Think, well, here, I'll, I'll... Open in the, in, in the um, wilderness and the children of Israel. That's always kind of puzzled me because it's a graven image. Right. That God told them to make. To... But in looking, so the key there is in looking at the graven image, it's not an image that represents God, but an image that points them to God, right? Hey, hey, let's, let's take a look at Exodus. Um, go to chapter, chapter 19 for starters. So you've heard it said, Pastor Bruzek, Exodus chapter 19, Pastor Nelson, I'm sorry, has told you um, how for Mark, as he's writing the gospel and for his first hearers, you can't, nobody was listening to this, reading it, writing it, apart from an Old Testament context, right? So everything, everything you hear is in the shade of everything that happened in the Old Testament. And Exodus is 
you know, premier among the important books of the Old Testament because it's describing God's salvation, right? So now here we are in Exodus 19. They've come, they've come out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. Moses, God's going to make his covenant with them. I always, I describe this, I, I think it's helpful to describe this as, you know, their, their uh, betrothal to God, right? Their wedding ceremony. And what's so striking about that, of course, is that on the, on the very night of their wedding, right, while, while Moses is on the mountain talking with God, they're already having an affair with a golden calf, right? Which, is, I mean, just brings to light how tragic it is and how gracious God is. Um, but take a look again, sorry, at Exodus 19. We've got verse 16. Verse 16 on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they, stook, they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So what's God's glory like here? It is his presence, right? And that he's going to kill me. Uh, I, I don't know if that's true here. It's scary. It's scary, right? They don't know whether he's going to take care of them, right? That's right. The glory cloud in the desert that leads them is his, is his protection. But here, his glory on the mountain is... Thunder is scary. That's right. Yeah. Hands down, terrifying. He says to, God says to Moses, hey, tell everybody to take a few steps back. Okay? Don't let anybody come near the mountain because I will consume them. Right? I will consume them. And then they, they later say to Moses, look, we really like having you talk to God for us because... He's terrifying, okay? So his glory, his glory as it's manifested in this cloud is mortifying. It's also magnificent. Uh, if you can get past the fear, sure, right? It's just marvelous to be on the edge of a cliff and see the Pacific Ocean in a big storm. And it's magnificent uh, at the same time. Okay. I like watching that on TV. I don't... <laughs> I don't know that I want to do <laughs> Okay, all right. So to each his own, okay. But still, I mean, nonetheless, the, the God's glory is, is going to, I mean, if, if it's not, un, if he doesn't restrain himself and if they don't have somebody interceding for them, it's going to kill them, right? It's not compatible with sinful humanity. But then, of course, we get this, this different picture of it as we come to, say, Mary, right, who's overshadowed by the Spirit. And uh, what is... What characterizes Mary's response? How is she? What is she like towards God when he comes to her? She's obedient. She's faithful, right? Let it be to me. I mean, this is the problem with the Israelites all along, right? They're disobedient and unfaithful. Um, and she hears what Israel has, has failed to hear. It's like they've got wax in their ears. They can't hear God saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. Right? And whatever I do for you, to you, is going to be for your good. They can't hear it. They don't hear it. And so they're afraid. And when you are afraid of God, what you have is a fearful God. But he's telling what faith means, and they're, they're one in the darkness all the time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the same thing with Mary. You've got 
Gabe, the angel coming into the room, who and, and an angel appearing is not like, you know, a cute little chubby baby, right? It's it's as frightening as glory on the mountain, right? But she knows that God is going to do things for her good, right? And he sends his holy, holy angels to protect her. Um, okay, so then we get the same thing today in the transfiguration. The glory descends, uh, at least symbolically in terms of the the shadow, the overshadowing, the cloud, right? So we've got this ringing of God's glory in the Old Testament, but what's different now? How is God's glory manifest now? In Jesus, right? So now we don't have um, somebody that we can't approach, that we can't touch, that we can't, you know, that we can't even look at. We have flesh and blood right in front of us who has gone out of his way to make it clear that he's not going to kill us, right? Um, So everything's turning right now. This is this is a this is a um, a better revelation of God's glory, a better better for us. Let's. I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about the painting. So to pull up the painting here real quick, and we'll come back. There's so much to do in in uh, bringing to mind, including. Don't forget, Shirley, what you said about listen to me. That's crucial. But take a look at this painting, Raphael in 1520. I think it's really interesting. I'd love to know more about this. I mean, this is the time of the Reformation, right? Of course, it hasn't. I mean, we're uh, he's, he paints this for a cathedral in Narbonne, France. Um, I don't really know if that's how you pronounce it, but I figure that's how you say French words. Um, and it's at the end of his life. He, he dies the year he finishes it. Um, what do you see? Okay, yeah, so you've got, you, have re- you have two scenes. So the top, we've got Jesus on the mountain. And the bottom, you've got the boy with the evil spirit. These two episodes come one right after the other in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are integrally related, and it's wonderful that Raphael draws them together here. To this point in art history, so the transfiguration is depicted all by itself. He doesn't, so, and it's, I mean, masterful storytelling, and then technically pretty skillful, right, to do this in a painting. Okay, what else do you notice? That's right. Yes. Okay, so we've got two guys pointing. Um, so down on the bottom, if you count them, you've got one, two, three, four. On the left side, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys on the bottom left. Not enough to account for all the disciples. But there might be some. There are some are up on the mountain. Some up around the mountain. Okay. All right. So, so you have this, this is happening simultaneously, okay? What else do you see? It's interesting seeing Jesus kind of in this formation, and we're used to seeing, like, the God's arms on the cross and the, and the, the stars. Yeah. That's right. Like, you can clearly see his hands and his feet, but he's not. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was intro. It was ascension at first, and I was so confused. Yeah. Until I realized it's the transfer. That's right, and, and you, you tell the difference because he doesn't, have any, he doesn't have any wounds. This gesture this gesture is different than this gesture, right? This is like, I'm going to give you a hug, or I've died on the cross. This is, what's this gesture? Prayer. Uh, prayer would be like this, with your hands like this. Blessing. Blessing. That's right. That's right. Um, but you get, you get a sense then, so he's, he's not wounded He's blessing. He's glorious. You get a sense for why, you know, if, if there's any inclination that the future might be difficult, you get, this, you get the sense why Peter wants to stay here, right? This is, where, this is where it's at. I mean, everything I've been waiting for is right here in this moment. 
I don't need to, we don't need to go back to the way things were before, right? Yeah, why leave? Yeah, Mary. Why leave? Because there's a boy with a female. That's right. So one of my favorite sermons from Pastor Bruzek, he did a few with Ascension, and it was life has always lived on the downside of the mountain. Like they couldn't stay up there. That's right. Because that's the glory was up there, and that was great, but there's people that need to be healed up. That's right. So the Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and that's what's so hard for the disciples to understand. Um, and one of the reasons why they don't understand it is because his glory isn't actually complete yet, right? It, it's awaiting fulfillment on the cross. Um, so whatever the, whatever glory they perceive now has actually it, there's more. There's more to come, more and better. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely right. I mean, and you get this. You get this. Um, sense of urgent need. So while they're up there having this wonderful, you know, picnic with Jesus on the mountain, in the other Gospels, they take, you know, they fall asleep, right? It's, uh, it's, they're just enjoying themselves, and down below, stuff is still going on. Yeah. Julie. Yeah. It looks like, perhaps this is Moses holding the law. Yes. Um, what is Elijah holding? Um, so, it, so it, it, yeah, it looks like a bound so instead of holding tablets, he's holding a, a book, a book of the prophet. Yeah, that's right. What are the two guys over there under the tree? That's great. So, yeah, there's extra guys on the mountain. Those are probably two little saints named Justice and Pastor who, were the, who shared the, the feast day of the Transfiguration, August 6th. Um, it, so we celebrate, when do we celebrate the Transfiguration? Do you know? Yeah, it's right before Lent. It's the Sunday before Ash Wednesday, right? Right? Yeah, so, I mean, so we get this, we get, we get played out in our liturgy. I mean, I, I really like this. Other people don't like it so much. It, it, people who, you know, folk, there's, there's a variety of ways to, to arrange these festivals. I love the fact that we go from Transfiguration Sunday straight down to Ash Wednesday. Like, it's, we're living it out right in that moment. Um, but they, so, in a different calendar, they shared the same justice and pastor. Like, they were supposedly 9 and 13 years old, martyred. Also, the patron saints of the church, the cathedral in Narbonne. That were, there are red patches on their arms. They both have red squares on their arms. I don't know. May, it may, might, be, might be symbolizing martyrdom, right? Yeah. Yes, Krista. I just, I just read and I, I thought it was very interesting that the uh, <coughs> disciple couldn't hear uh, the little boy. Yeah. And uh, um, the pastor wrote it. He said, um, you know, the, the disciples they were so used to because, you know, where they were, um, uh, Jesus sent them out and they could heal. And, and, uh, um, and then I think they uh, believed that they could do it. Yeah. Right. And uh, um, that's such an easy that's such an easy shift to make, right? Jesus has given me His authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. Yeah. It's like Moses. It's like Mo- the sin that Moses commits, right? God says, "Speak to the rock," and He says to Himself, "I've done this before. It's going to be better, more magnificent if I strike the rock because I'm the one who's really acting here." Right? Same, yeah, yeah. And, and then Jesus' response really puts the disciples to shame because how does how are these demons cast out of this kind? Through prayer, right? Nothing complicated. Probably should be your first recourse when you are confronted with something like this. Julie. When we say in the, in the, the after, right? We say prayer and fasting. 
It's a variation. So there's a variety uh, uh, in manuscript. In the manuscripts, there's a variety of ways that it appears. Prayer and fasting, and it's it's complemented by other the other gospels. I think maybe Matthew says prayer and fasting more reliably. Um, yeah. Okay. So there's still more to observe. What do you notice? Tell me about how so about light. The light in this is fascinating. How many sources of light are there? Two, two for sure. Yeah. So one is Jesus, right? Jesus is emanating this light that just you know bathes the whole mountain. The other source of light is somewhere off to the le- off to the left, right? To the upper left. So so what does that light do? Illuminates the disciples that are on the mountaintop and some of the people down there. Okay, so, so Jesus' light illuminates the disciples on the mountaintop. The light from the upper left illuminates the boy and his father and the folks on the right side, but it also then means that who's in, what happens to the disciples on the left? They're in shadow. They're in shadow, right? Yeah. This, 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 this shadow of unbelief, right? Jesus comes and says, Oh, you unfaithful generation. You unbelieving generation. How long, I mean, that's... Uh, an interesting question to ask. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Right? Yeah, Holly. It also uh, reminds me of uh, John the Baptist. He says, you know, I must decrease. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, it, so it, um, receding into the shadows is actually really important for them, for the disciples. Yeah. Okay, um, anything, else do you know, anything else you notice about this? Who was who the woman there? I think it's a great question. Yeah. Uh, did you notice that woman right there? What's peculiar about this, this woman? Well, one, she's a woman among all the men, yeah. but she also has a blue. Yeah. She has a blue. Blue and got some red. She is, uh, w- once you, once you no- sort of uh, pay attention to her, she is w- the brightest figure down there. Right. Right? She's pointing to... Child. Yeah. Child. Okay, so she's pointing to the child. What else is she doing? Looking. Away. She's looking. Who is she looking at? At the, at the disciples. Yeah. She's like. So there's some Mary in there, right? Um, some have some have said that she's an allegory of faith, which would make you know Mary would be the the principal type of faith here. Um, but I think also it helps to and Mary Mary is an icon of the church too, right? So here the church is saying, here's your disciples. Here's your business, right? Here's what you've got to do. Um, she could be considered one part of a triangle between Jesus, the boy. You know, it's not. Yeah. Sausage. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Skinny triangle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so one one way that this has been diagrammed is you know to to see the top as this big swirl, a big a big swirl on the top, and then the same thing kind of gets on the bottom, right? Um, so they're two distinct, two distinct scenes. Okay. Yeah, Holly. Uh, were you just saying about a triangle? Yeah. Uh, like the disciples down the line are pointing to Jesus, but at the same time, this Mary figure, you know, so these disciples on the bottom, maybe, that are looking up to Jesus are saying, well, you know, what about Jesus over here? And she has this very, like, serious... She's stern, yeah. Yes, but here... Yeah. This is where your work is? Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, so, I mean, yeah. 
I'm, I wish, be, I would love to talk to, you know, Raphael, but uh, it's been a little bit too, a little bit late to that party. They, so the um, one other thing, you may not, you can't, I don't think you can see it in the printed version. This down here, this is a puddle right here. And you can see just a little bit of a reflection of this guy's foot in the puddle, which evidently is a really difficult thing to do, to paint a reflection in water. And this was a, this was a time when such technical skills were really becoming available to artists. Um, but what's observable here then is, so who, who do you think, who do you, what's, what do you know about this guy? What can you tell about this guy down at the bottom left? Nancy. He, he's got a book in his hand, yeah. He's a ribbon hanging out of it like her. Yeah, that's right. So, so a gospel writer, perhaps Matthew, um, and if you, if you have eyes to see it, this book is another source of light, which is how you end up with a reflection of his foot in the puddle, right? Because you need to have light shining from that direction. I don't know if I buy it, but... Okay, okay. Did anyone mention the man with the hand? This guy over here? Uh, I haven't heard... And I didn't see anything about him. Although, just at first glance, if I was going to say, who's that? I might think it's John the Baptist, although he's dead at this point. So, Yeah, pointing to Jesus, right? Which is what John always does. John's always right. could be martyred already. Yeah. Okay. There's, uh, this is great. This is a great painting. I love it. Um, we should go take a trip and see it. It's in the Vatican Museum. So, Okay. Back up now. I want, so take a moment. I think this is really helpful, actually, just to sort of suss out the Old Testament in the Transfiguration. Um, so notice, so Shirley said, emphasized, you know, we have this voice. This is my beloved son, which rings of these, uh, you know, regal psalms like Psalm 2. Today, uh, I, um, today I have begotten you, right? He said the, I can't remember how, quite how it goes. Today, but he says, the Lord says, today I have begotten you. Um, and then this rings of the baptism, too, with the voice from heaven, right? And then listen to him. This is the critical, the definitive confession of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Shema, hear, O Israel, right? So the voice from heaven, the Lord your God, is saying, hear this guy, okay? Um, sh- again, pointing to the fact that Jesus is the revelation of God's glory, um, now, Donna. Uh, in Exodus, it mentions that Moses brought the people out, out of the camp to meet God and took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Yeah. That's right, we've got a mountain. Absolutely. So it's just like um, this whole big swath of Exodus. So Exodus 19. Later, of course, you remember, um, we have these other uh, reminiscences of Moses on the mountain after... Um, the people have sinned, he goes on the mountain, and he comes back down, and what's happened to Moses since he's been on the mountain? He starts glowing, right? Right? Um, so that he has to wear a veil over his face, because the people can't handle it. I don't know what that's like. I mean, I, that's, it's sort of unimaginable what that might be like. Um, but again, it, you know, this radiance... This radiance rings of that story. His clothes became radiant. In another gospel, it says his face became radiant. Um, we also, so, uh, so we have Moses and Elijah, right? Elijah also has an encounter with God on a mountain. Um, his is different than, than the thunders and lightning that Moses experiences. 
Because God comes to him first in the thunder and then a great wind and an earthquake. And then, but God was not in any of these, but then a still small voice, right? Um, so, so Elijah's had this similar kind of mountaintop experience with God. Now, what's interesting to me, I think, I haven't, I haven't really figured out quite how to put this all together, but what's it, what, it's interesting to observe the context of Moses' experience on the mountain and Elijah's experience on the mountain. So Moses is on the mountain first to bring God's law to the people, to, to lead them and guide them, but then they sin. And his radiance comes after they've sinned, right? So there's this corruption among the people, and God's, uh, God says, I'm done with them, and Moses intercedes for them, right? So he's, he's um, dealing with this sort of crisis of the people being disobedient. Elijah, likewise, has just, when he, when he has his experience with God on the mountain, he's just um, conquered the, the prophets of Baal. This great story where um, he, there's been no rain for three years, and he says, bring all the prophets together, We'll have a contest. They can't get God, they can't get Baal to call down fire to consume the sacrifice. So he makes it even better, pours water on it, right? And, and of course, so you know this, right? He's, um, when they're trying to get God to call down fire, he's making fun of them. Maybe he's taking a nap or relieving himself. Um, but then he takes care of the problem, right? So douses the whole thing with water and prays and God sends down fire that consumes the whole thing. The people kill all the prophets of Baal, right? They, they realize what's happened. But the people are fickle, right? They're not, this is just a reaction. Uh, because subsequently, Jezebel says, realizing what has happened to the prophets, says, you're done for, Elijah, right? Instead of saying, clearly that guy's got a connection with the powerful, true God, um, she sets up to kill him. So then Moses, or so Elijah f- flees away and he's, he's lamenting to God about how I'm the, only, I'm the only one left, right? Um, God comes to him in this quiet voice and he says, you're not the only one left. I'm, I'm keeping for myself 7,000 who have not bent the knee um, to, to the, to the, to, to the, at the altar of Baal. There's an interesting connection there too. Um, that, uh, we heard in the next section, verses 9 through 13, there's this question about Elijah. Because Malachi had said, Elijah needs to come, and he will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. Elijah needs to come first. And the disciples are saying, well, if Elijah needs to come first before the Messiah comes, where's, where's Elijah? And Jesus, he doesn't say it here, but in another gospel he says, John the Baptist is Elijah if you're able to hear it. But the distinction Jesus makes is Elijah's not coming John the Baptist is not coming to restore all things and make them pretty for the Messiah. He's coming to call repentance and precede the Messiah in suffering and dying, right? This, I mean, this is, so Elijah does first come first, verse 12, to restore all things. But how is it written that the Son of Man should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? If, you, if you're confused about what the Messiah is going to do, you're probably confused about how Elijah's going to look when he comes again. But notice what happens to John the Baptist. Who's responsible for John the Baptist's final persecution? A wicked king and his awful wife, right? Um, We get this this recapitulation of Ahab and Jezebel who are pursuing Elijah. Um, So all of these things are are circling together so that, uh, you know, especially for the the folks, we have to work at this because it's 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 not second nature to us. 
Um, and we try, this is why we study the scriptures as often as we can, so that it becomes second nature, so that when you see these things, you see tied together everything that God has promised to do from the beginning, fulfilled here in this moment uh, in the person of Jesus. Okay, what else do you have? Anything else you observe about the transfiguration? Yeah, Jan. Well, you have the transfiguration. You have healing of the boy of the unclean spirit. And then you have Jesus talking about his death. And it's like the disciples did this. Yeah. We don't want to hear this. Right. Yeah. You know, we were, the three of them were up on the mountain. And we don't want to hear this. This isn't going to happen. Yeah, right. And, I mean, it, it, it's almost like Mark is, I mean, Mark is trying to point out, point out to us just the, the irony, um, the ridiculousness of their refusal to hear, because he says it so plainly. And they wonder to themselves, what does, what does this mean, this rising from the dead, right? I mean, it means rising from the dead. It's, it's, he's not speaking in images right now. In fact, he says the same thing. I, you know, I, I spoke to you in parables, but there will come a time when I don't speak to you in parables anymore. That's right. Yeah, and, and, and it's, I mean, it's hardness, it's hardness, this unbelief to have somebody say so plainly. I mean, have you had this experience where uh, you've, you're listening to somebody and you thought you were paying attention to them, and then later you, found out, you find out that, they, that you weren't paying attention at all, that you missed entirely the point of what they were saying? Have you ever had that? Maybe that's just me. I'm sorry, Jessica. <laughs> um, because you hear what you want to hear. You pay attention to what you want to pay attention to. Um, it's just, I mean, again, it's just like with the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. There he is speaking figuratively. And that, should, that much should be obvious because nobody has to worry about bread anymore. Jesus can produce enough bread for 9,000. You know, it's not a big deal. Um, and yet they, mis, they misunderstand there. One other just sort of nerdy thing to note. Um, Peter says, let us make three tents. Um, tents are just critical images in, for the people of Israel. One of the three great festivals was the Feast of Tabernacles, right? Um, so they dwelt in tabernacles. They dwelt in tents while they wandered in the wilderness, the people of Israel did. But they look forward to the tents of the righteous, the, the, the eternal dwellings. Um, and so Peter is thinking, here we are, the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is probably the reason why we have the time notice six days later, right? Because that six... Uh, it was a festival that happened between the sixth and the eighth days, um, or that had important events during that time. And Peter's thinking, here we are. This is it. Okay. Krista. Yeah, in, in Israel, on Mount Sinai, this is a beautiful, beautiful church. Yeah. With um, uh, the, the pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that must be, it must be a, a tremendous experience to, to be there and to see, to, you know, to look around and say, here, I've, yeah, yeah. Jan. Well, the other thing that you see here is jealousy. First, oh, right. in the who's the greatest, you kind of behind the scenes get the idea that, you know, Peter, James, and John were up there with the transfiguration and the rest of the guys are going, what makes you so great? You got to go up. I mean, yeah. it doesn't say that, but it implies something like that. Yeah. And then, here's this other guy healing 
Right. And my goodness, he's got part of our group. Yeah. Uh huh. We don't. We don't. And it's. I mean, it's great because we don't know anything about that guy. Who was he? I have no idea. But uh, the, and the disciples are so worried about him. Jesus gives him this this great commendation. Right. Nobody can cast out demons in my name. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think just I, this. I think this is pretty self-evident, um, but it's worth just reflecting on a little bit. The story of Jesus healing the boy with the unclean spirit and the father's remarkable confession. I mean, I think this is probably one of the most comforting episodes in all of scripture because what it reveals is that um, faith is not a is not another hoop to jump through, right? Faith is not just another work that you accomplish. It's not like Jesus said, okay, um, you used to try and do all these external things. You used to try and keep the sacrifices and the festivals and go on pilgrimages and you used to wash your hands and all that stuff. And now I want you to try and work really hard at this other thing. I want you to work really hard at shaping your heart. It's not, it's not like that because it's in fact the man's confession of his misshapen heart. His, it's his confession of his unbelief that Jesus is after. This is what Jesus means when he says, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what repentance consists of, is saying, I don't believe, or I can't believe. Um, And the motion to say that, the motion to say, you know, I wish that this was easy for me. I wish that I could do what you wanted me to do. I wish that I trusted in you fully. That motion does not come from within you, right? And that's why, I mean, this man, so Jesus says this kind of demon is cast out only by prayer. Who's saying the prayer in the episode it's this father, right? And although it's, it's clear that unbelief is rampant in the disciples most obviously, this man nonetheless petitions Jesus, right? And even though he's totally willing to acknowledge his own inability to believe, Jesus is, Jesus is making up for the gap, right? He's closing the gap for him. Um, because all he really wants is uh, to give you that motion, Right? To, to push you in that direction. And he does it. I mean, he does it. Every time you observe about yourself, I am not up to this. Or I, uh, I'm not what Jesus said I should be or would be. Um, things, you know, I don't, I don't feel about God. I don't feel about love. I don't feel about my neighbors the way I'm supposed to. Every time you observe that, every time you observe that about yourself, that is Jesus doing this good work in you. Um, and that's, I mean, on the one hand, it can it can make you it can make you despair if you're not careful, and that's why um, we have to you have to be in church and you have to hear these things regularly because you know just like we were talking about earlier about how easy it is to slip into thinking that you're working something on your own, right? So easy it is to slip into thinking that I've gotten here by myself, and you need to be reminded continually that Jesus has gotten you to this He's brought you to this crucial point of saying I've, I'm insufficient. Right, and if that's if that's where he's got you, he's going to carry you the rest of the way too. Yeah, surely. He also pointed out too the importance of prayer. That's right. Yeah, it's it's prayer which brings you to the prayer which brings these demons out. That's right. That's right. I mean, this we've been talking about this in high school Bible class about the commandments. So the first commandment is obviously first and most important, right? But what's the second commandment? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Why is that so important? It's not that the high schoolers really have a problem with cursing and swearing. 
Um, because, because for, I mean, they might have a problem with foul language, but cur not with cursing and swearing. In fact, I had a parent say to me, you should probably talk a little bit more about foul language. Because basically when I say cursing is the opposite of blessing and swearing is, taking, is making an oath, the kids think to themselves, which I didn't realize, oh, that means I can use foul language, and it's not <laughs> forbidden by the second commandment. So we'll but anyway, the, the important thing is the, the converse of that, right? What do you use God's name for? Prayer, praise, and giving thanks, right? The second commandment is pr about prayer, right? This is how you relate to God. Yeah? Carol. I just noticed Jesus repeats what the man says. The man says in verse 22, but if you can do anything. Yeah. Because I was reading the next verse and at first it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You know, Jesus says, if you can't. Right. Because we don't have any punctuation in the Greek, it's a little bit unclear just what's going on there. And then he says all things are possible for one. That's right. So it sounds like Jesus hears this man asking this kind of silly question, if you can. And Jesus replies, if you can, meaning if I can, right? Uh, of course I can. The, the, question, the, the question is, do you believe that I can, right? Which is, again, such an interesting question because it can prompt you in one of two ways. Right? You can say, well, no, I don't, you know, I guess I don't believe that's that, <laughs> right? You can despair, or you can say like this man does, I don't believe, you got to help me with this, right? You got to give me the faith. Or but sometimes it's like, God, I know you can do this, but a part of me says, I don't think you're going to do it at all. Right. <clears throat> Gee, I wish you would. Right, right. And, and, uh, and I wouldn't be asking if... You know, if I didn't have something to go on, you know? Yeah. Okay. We should wrap this up. Um, you just have to figure out the second half of Mark 9 on your own. Um, although, think, just think about this. Uh, real quickly, I think this is really helpful. This business about chopping off your hand and your foot and your eye. Think about, so, and, and Jesus uses this language, causing you to sin, right? Um, which is, which is familiar language for anybody who's got kids, right? Why did you do that? Well, at, for any reason besides my own choice, right? It happened for, I, because, of, because he was doing it too. It was an accident, right? I, um, so, so notice the progression. Your hand, you know, is, is the, the, the instrument of your sin. It's what brings you, it's what actually carries out the sin. Your foot is what, what makes the sin opportune, right? It, it's what carries you to the place where you might sin. Your eyes or what sees the opportunity for sin, right? Which might impel you. So your eyes see things that you desire, and then you're drawn to them with your feet, and then you act with your hands, right? Um, but notice what's happening. Do any of those actually cause you to sin? Where does Jesus say sin comes from? Your heart, right? So, I mean, the natural conclusion is, when you fig once you figure out what causes you to sin, what are you going to do about it, right? Is, um... And, I mean, reaching that point is really critical because you can't, you can't do anything about it. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, come back next week. Come a little bit early if you can.